We're in Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to the disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Continuing on. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, 
and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. The Son of Man will come in his glory, sit on his throne and judge all people. But in this passage, all people reject God's King. Do you remember the cunning leaders tried to trap Jesus in his words, but he was too wise and too fearless. So now they simply scheme to arrest him secretly and kill him. But it's not as the enemies of God's king who are after him, who reject him. Verse 15, one of the twelve, one of his disciples, one he has lived with for the last three years, goes to the leaders and says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And so he sold God's king for 30 pieces of silver. And still it's not just his enemies, old and new, who reject him. It's even those who genuinely follow him. The other 11 genuinely follow him, but they will all deny him. Verse 31, this very night, You will all fall away on account of me. He will come on his glorious throne and judge all nations. But now all people reject him. It is a dark moment in human history. But not really. This is actually normal human history. It's just... Our rejection writ large. Some people reject God and God's king and scheme to do away with him or simply ignore him. Others even claim to follow him and then turn against him. And we know, don't we, that even those who genuinely follow him, when life gets difficult, when there's opposition to following him, we keep quiet. We pretend we don't know him, we deny him. Can you see yourself in this dark moment? What hope is there if this is what we're like? What hope is there for the world? Jesus said that there would be disasters, there would be distress before he returns. But don't be deceived. And so there'll be bushfires and we'll get through them. There'll be floods and we'll get through them. And God willing, there'll be pandemics and we will get through it. But in the end, it doesn't matter how good your emergency evacuation plan is, how good your travel bans are, how big the stimulus package is, When you're a group of people who reject God, what hope is there? Especially when you realize that God holds you responsible. What did Jesus say? 
The Son of Man goes as is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him if he had not been born. Are those words just for Judas? No, Jesus said, depart from me into the eternal fire. What hope is there when things are this bad? When we are this bad? But if our rejection of God's king is so clear, so dark here, it's even clearer, isn't it, that God's king is in control. Do you see that? The leaders meet in a palace to secretly scheme that they might secretly arrest him. And yet Jesus has already predicted three times they're going to do that. He even told a story about the tenants, do you remember, where they were scheming to kill the son. Judas privately, secretly goes to the chief priests, sells him for 30 pieces of silver, and then is looking quietly, secretly, for an opportunity to betray him. And then verse 20, he's there sitting at the table with the other disciples, sure that no one knows what he's up to, otherwise he wouldn't have turned up to the meal. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Surely you don't mean me, says Judas, along with all the others. But Jesus knows. The disciples had no thought they were going to stumble. In fact, they deny that they will deny Jesus. I will never deny you. And yet Jesus knows. You will all fall away. Peter, you will disown me three times. They all reject God's king. But God's king knows and is completely in control. For it's all happening as God planned. It's just as it is written. The Son of Man goes as it is written about him. Verse 31, I will strike the shepherd. The most striking thing, I think, I'd never noticed this before, is that Jesus has a plan and the leaders have a plan and they can't both be true. You see there in verse 5, they secretly plot to arrest him and kill him, right? But not during the festival. Not during Passover because there are hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem and they love Jesus. Not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. The one time it can't happen is at Passover. And what does Jesus say back in verse 2? The Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be Not only does Jesus know their plan, he has a plan for when it'll happen. And his plan and their plan are mutually incompatible. Which one's going to come true? Surely not the victim. Yet that's exactly what happens. And so in verse 32, when Jesus promises, I will rise... And go ahead of you to Galilee, not for a moment do you think, I wonder whether that'll happen. I wonder whether he can make that happen. They all reject God's king, and yet Jesus is completely in control. The truth is, is that our world is always out of control. You and I think that things most of the time in our lives are under control. We have them under control. That's because we live in a weird time in history and because we've developed all sorts of scientific things and because we're proud. But sometimes things happen in life that make us realise that we are out of control. The drought, we had no control. 
Bushfires, really no control. The floods that came, who would have even thought they were going to come? We have no control and we scramble now, don't we, to try and control this virus. But it is out of control. And they're just the big picture things. For some of you here tonight, that's just the background noise. And actually at the moment, in your life, your personal life, you realise things are out of control and you wonder whether God's got them in control. When something completely comes out of the blue and throws you, you wonder whether it threw God as well. Well, what would be the biggest sign that God actually didn't have things in control? Would it be when something goes wrong in your life? Would it be the bushfires or the floods or the droughts or this virus? Would that be the biggest sign that things are out of control? No. When everyone rejected God's king and secretly schemed to kill him, that would be the moment when you would most think God had lost it, that he was unable to control things. And what is the truth? It all happened as he had written. Even the timing was what Jesus wanted and not what his enemies wanted. Whatever it is you are anxious about right now, whatever it is you are uncertain, worried, fearful about, know this. God knows all about your anxiety. He knows exactly what is happening and it is exactly as he had planned it. And whatever happens will be as he had planned it for he is in control of our world and of our lives. What a good thing to know a God who's in control and who loves us. That begs an obvious question, doesn't it? If everyone is rejecting God's king and God's king knows it and is in control, why does he walk into it? If he knows they're scheming to kill him, if he knows his friend is going to betray him, if he knows all the others are going to fall away from him, why does he walk into the trap? If he is in control, why does he make sure it happens? Well, the clue's in the time, isn't it? Verse 2. The Passover is two days away. God's people were in Egypt. They were slaves. And God rescued them out of slavery by the plague of death. The angel of death passed through the land. And God's people killed a lamb, put the blood on the doorposts, and the angel of death didn't pass through. It passed over. In every house there was a death. In the Egyptian's house it was the sun. In God's people's houses, it was a lamb. And so he commanded them to remember and be thankful for this and to have a meal with a lamb, with bread and wine. And so every year of his life, Jesus has celebrated the Passover. In fact, the last two years, he's celebrated with his disciples. But this year will be different. For he takes the bread and the wine And he gives it a new significance. They're famous words, aren't they? Have a look, 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. He takes the elements of the meal, the bread and the wine, and he says that they mean something new. Some people think this is literal, don't they? That the bread and the wine really is his body and his blood. I just think it's obvious, isn't it? Jesus was always using metaphors. That's normal for him. And this is a metaphorical meal, a symbolic meal. And I can't for the life of me see that any of the disciples are sitting there going, wow, that bread, it still looks like bread, but it must be his body. Wow, he he turned the water into wine and now he's turned bread into his flesh. I mean, think about it for a moment. There is Jesus, there is his body, there is his hand. Clearly the bit of bread in his hand is not his body. And his blood is still pumping around his body. It's a graphic, macabre symbol. But it's not literal. And if it wasn't literal then, why on earth would it be literal when we have it here at church? Now Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, because he is about to give his body. He's about to give his blood. The bread and the wine. But there was a third thing in the meal, wasn't there? Do you remember? A third important part of the meal. In fact, the central part of the meal. What was it? The lamb. You can't help but read this account, can you, of the Passover meal and ask yourself, Where's the lamb? Why isn't the lamb mentioned? Why doesn't Jesus mention the lamb? I'll tell you why. Because unlike every other Passover meal in history, I think, there was no lamb there. You see, he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples, but it's a day early. And you wouldn't have the lamb. Because it wasn't time to do the lamb yet. What is Jesus doing? Why would he celebrate the Passover meal a day early? Because his diary is full for the next day. He cannot celebrate the Passover at Passover. Passover is two days, he said, do you remember? And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified and he must die at Passover because he is the lamb. You see, there is a lamb at the meal and the lamb speaks and the lamb says, this is my body because his body is to be sacrificed. The lamb says, this is my blood because his blood is to be sacrificed. The bread and the wine He makes them symbols of himself because his body is to be broken and his blood is to be poured out like the lamb. Like the lamb, he is to die instead of them. 
the angel of death will pass over because their sins will have been paid for. Do you see what he says? Verse 28, this is my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not only the forgiveness of sins, but verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is celebrating a meal, a feast, and he's looking forward to a day in his Father's kingdom when he will celebrate the feast again. It'll be his own wedding banquet, like in the parable. And he won't celebrate it on his own. There'll be invited guests, just like in the parable. Who will they be? I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Who is he going to drink from the cup with? Who will eat in his Father's kingdom? It's those who this very night will fall away on account of him. It's Peter who will deny that he even knows him three times. Isn't that extraordinary? This lamb is going to die. He's going to die for people such as them. And I take it his death is actually for all those who might betray him like Judas, yet turn back. His death is actually for all those who would scheme to kill him and do away with him or his followers, but who turn back. This is my body. This is my blood given for you. What an extraordinary gift. I know you know this. I haven't told you anything new. But it is extraordinary, don't you think? How do you respond when you realise what an extraordinary gift Jesus has given us? Well, there's only one person in this part, in this passage, in these events, who knows how to respond. It's not the leaders. It's not Judas and it's not the disciples, is it? Who is it? Verse 7 It's a woman. We don't even know her name. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Maybe a year's salary. Very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. How do you respond to God's king? How do you value him? Well, the leaders gave 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. But the woman gets it. She understands he is worth far more. Maybe she recognises that he's God's king. Maybe she's been healed by him. Maybe she knows she's been forgiven by him. And so she takes the most expensive thing she owns, the most expensive thing she will ever touch, and simply pours it out on his head. And how do the disciples react? They are indignant. What a waste. She could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And you know, if I'd been there, I would have thought the same thing. And so would you. What an extravagant, ridiculous gift. 
What a waste. But do you see that Jesus says we're wrong? We're wrong because we don't realise